everything we've been talking about kind of centers around this one common theme, which is the amount of effort you want to put into something. And I've talked to a lot of people that want to switch over from whatever their career is today to becoming designers. And that's the one thing that I'm seeing that's like people don't understand is we cannot be lazy. So if you want to be a good designer, you're not a lazy person. You're very disciplined. So putting forth effort into structuring your feedback session as the designer that's getting feedback is a lot of work, but you can't be lazy. You got to really push yourself and then structuring yourself in a way where you're going to give good feedback as the person that's viewing the designer's work, that takes a lot of effort because it's really fast and easy to get, oh, that's messed up. The typography is all wrong. I don't have any time to explain why I'm going to go to this next meeting. It's super easy to do that. Just it's super easy as the designer to say, I just want to show them the header. So I'm just going to take a screenshot of the whole thing and let's just wing it and let's just figure out how it works out. That's not how business works. If we went into battle that way as during a <laughs> war, that would be dumb, right? So we got to always put in the work and put in the effort and you cannot be lazy. Hi, I'm Rizwan. Welcome to Unleash Your Mindset, a podcast where I talk to creatives to learn actionable strategies that can help you develop a resilient mindset so you can achieve your creative potential. In each episode, my guests share a listener challenge to help you take action and make a positive change in your life right away. My guest today is Jonathan Bowman. Jonathan is a design leader at Machinify. He's the co-founder of Board of Design, a licensing board for professional designers and researchers. This is an interesting topic I wanted to learn more about, and I hope you also find it interesting. I think licensing in the design field can be valuable, so it's interesting to see how this program develops. In this conversation, we talk about feedback. Feedback is a critical part of the design process. When it's done correctly, it can be a powerful tool for change. I'm excited to share our conversation in which we dive into the world of feedback. Without further ado, here's Jonathan Bowman. Today, I have a very special guest, Jonathan Bowman. He's a friend, mentor, and he's an all-around great guy. And I'm really excited to speak with him and have this conversation today because he provides his insights are uh, his insights are really helped me look at a concept and an idea from a different point of view that one that I probably didn't consider. So I'm really excited to learn more from him today on the topic that we will discuss. So yeah, so let's get started. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thank you. It's always awesome to hear these welcomes because you're not only flattered but a little bit surprised. I'm glad I can be a voice of reason. I definitely don't see myself as that, but thank you. You've definitely helped me many times. I've come calling and you've definitely been there for your support and encouragement and telling things like it is. So I really appreciate that about you. So Yeah, absolutely. I think we need more of that. I think what if for two months, designers just supported each other? That would be really impactful. So I think we should all support each other. So I'm a big fan. Please go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience and share a little bit about your design journey. Yeah, sure. 
So I think my design journey started probably since I could actually remember. My dad was a hardware designer. He worked for companies like Texas Instruments. He did hardware for a lot of like computer-based products, things like that. And I just, when people ask this question, I just look back and see where I got my start. And that's really where I got my start. And maybe that's where a lot of us did when we were younger, but I remember just the influence of having him around and him designing things like hardware and pushing me to own my craft. It really started a long time ago. I think after, after a period of kind of rejecting that and not wanting to follow in those footsteps, I explored medicine a little bit. That was interesting for a while, but then I came back to my roots, so to speak, and started designing like late in the late nineties, building aftermarket auto parts. I would get into CAD and someone wanted a more aerodynamic 300ZX Nissan or something like that. So we designed them some really cool aerodynamic type of kits and then we would test them in this clean room and check to see if it's faster and things like that. But it was exciting. That's where I came back to my craft and the owner of that company said, hey, I'm spinning off a digital magazine. Back then, in those days, everyone wanted an online magazine with flash cartoons and stuff like that. And the funny thing is he and I would joke on the way to lunch. So he would take everybody off to lunch. He was really nice. And we would come up with, essentially, there were memes. Back then, there were just cutouts of newspaper articles, and we would draw captions at the bottom and play around with that. So we had a cool relationship where we were just creating things and creating funny jokes and laughing and being hilarious. And he said, hey, do you want to come to this new company I'm starting, which is an online magazine called GX Planet? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. I had no clue what I was doing. He asked me to be in charge of writing and directing cartoon shows. I thought that was interesting. But one thing that led me back into design was we were using Flash. And Flash is old, but at the time it was all we had. And we were using Flash to animate. And over the weekend, I pounded a bunch of Red Bulls because I wanted to see what this was all about. And I wanted to speed up production of the cartoons. And I wanted to go ahead and test it out myself. And I was kind of like hooked after that, after learning Flash. And then everything is history after that, so to speak, because you know I had a good network there. I met a lot of really amazing people. And one of the first things that most folks asked designers to do, or at least back then, was, hey, I need a website. Can you help me make mine? So yeah, that kind of spun off my career into design. As the iPhone came out, I realized that there's a really different aspect to design or a different discipline emerging that was always there, but more important for UX. And I got a job working on the East Coast in Norfolk, Virginia with a DoD company. And yeah, I was building dashboards and creating interfaces that are visual based for folks that are trying to find out quick information. That was a cool job, but I felt like I needed to be near more designers and other folks like me because I wanted to still develop and grow. So I came out here to Silicon Valley in 2012, and I've been here ever since. And just did the circuit, designing and building really cool things, super amazing things. If you spend any time here, you'll touch a lot of cool things. I think that's, yeah, that's the long version. It's interesting because if you ask me candidly, like what it was like around that time, I'm seeing a lot of similar sort of patterns right now. 
one thing that I remember and I was talking to folks about is like the titles and what we called ourselves and things like that. And the titles that, of what we call ourselves now, it's all kind of getting confusing. So I think, yeah, I think we need to be careful to not have that kind of stuff happen to us again. Yeah. So you said you started off in the physical design and you moved into digital. How was that transition for you? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, I think for me, it was like I was doing something that was exciting, right? You tell any, anyone like, Hey, you're going to make this car not only look cool, but go like five miles faster or something like that. So I think that was one of the appeals. The other thing is alluded to it, but I'll just come out and say it. I've been doing that for years, like before that, right? Like my dad was a CAD designer before CAD. He was literally just pulling out little thin pieces of tape. And sometimes the tape was already designed where he would build computer chips and stuff like that. That sort of by immersion or that training academic environment by immersion was something that was very second nature to me. But making that transition from something that you physically, that someone out of fiberglass, and then going to something that's digital, I think that was a sort of organic progression because most of the product for me was like, I don't want to do what my dad does. And not because I didn't like my dad or anything like that. It's mostly, I think you want to stand out yourself and make your own a name for yourself, right? So I think, and then that transition was almost super organic because it was, I'm not kidding, it was literally a weekend where I grabbed, I don't know if Red Bull was out that around that time, but I thought it was something similar to that. I grabbed a couple of those and pounded a couple of those and said, I'm going to learn this. Like I pushed myself through, again, through frustrations, like we weren't getting these cartoons out fast enough. I wanted to understand how it worked. I wanted to make sure that I understood how it worked in case I needed to be the one uh, building these things. So it was almost an organic transition to this is the need. Let's go ahead and do it. And besides, I was already sketching the actual sketches, doing all the actual layout. So I think it was a, a pretty natural step over. It's pretty, pretty organic for me. Yeah. So it sounds like you had the foundation, this, the way you were thinking about design, the experience the, you know, the sketching and you, so you were able to explore your ideas and it was just a natural transition into digital where you could apply all of those and not miss a beat yeah and yeah driven to by just this really strong desire to learn and understand which i think is a hallmark of a lot of good designers is you have that in you all the time and yeah. it's a kind of blessing and a curse but that's what pushes us we want to learn more and understand more any thoughts on how to bring that feeling of wanting to dive into a topic or a subject or something to learn to strengthen your skills, strengthen areas that you need to? Any thoughts on how to go about that? Yeah, I don't want to say it's easy because it's not, right? Like a lot of us are very different. And even through some genomics projects I've done, there's just a fact that like some of the things were just not kind of, but if you don't feel like you have that and you want that and you want to get it, what's your driver? Like that's the most natural way to do it is for me, I was driven because when I get into meetings and I'm talking to the flash animators and they're talking about code and I don't know what they're saying, that kind of made me feel like left out. Yeah. Or when I'm asking them, Hey, can this be done? And if I got pushed back or told, no, I wanted to understand why. 
and maybe in my own head. So I think that's where you can tap into to to push yourself more. Like for someone who wants to lose a lot of weight and wants to run, you can get hyper focused on the benefits of running, and that, that might push you, or how you feel, or that dopamine rush that you get, or whatever you latch onto, you can latch onto. So I think for me, latching onto, I need to know what folks are talking about so I can articulate what I need to get done quicker. That's a business need, and I'm going to translate that into a driver to get me to figure this out. So next time we're talking, the conversation's five seconds instead of five minutes. Yeah, I think that's a great point that you bring up. As a designer, you're working with developers, and if you can't speak their language, then there's that disconnect. And and it's something that you know we can do is to, you don't have to learn full stack programming, but you should be comfortable speaking with developers, understand the challenges they have. You should know what you're talking about because that's just going to make your designs better and not turn you into a developer, but have that conversation and have it faster. And being able or being aware of challenges and being happy and to accept them and take them on because your, yeah, your growth comes from challenges and comes from these difficult things that we face. So absolutely, should designers learn to code? You should learn to talk. And you can't really talk someone's language if you don't understand the basic frameworks and structures that they use. Yeah. So I think it's super helpful. And then that goes with anything. Like uh, if you're working at a company that's like a company for uh, legal services, if you don't understand a lot of the terminology, you're going to kind of feel left out. So yeah, I think you should definitely push yourself. And we do that. We really, we're really good at that. Yeah, I guess it's this developers is just one example. It's the same with marketing, same with business. We need to speak their language, understand what their challenges are, what is important for them. And then, so then they can, we can be a better partner for them. That's absolutely 100% true. So what do you enjoy the most about design? For the most part, what I love most is it's one of these fields where it's deceptively technical. So I think there's a way into operating as a designer that allows you to see the technicality in it and the systems in it and work an angle as a designer in that way, which allows you to take on larger and larger challenges and work through bigger and bigger problems. And that to me is probably the most exciting thing. When you say you want to design a dashboard, that's pretty complex. That's a loaded question. There's a lot in there that you have to know and understand. There's a lot of skills you have to bring to the table. But what if you had to design a dashboard with constraints? And what if those constraints are very technical constraints? And so for me, it's like that's the level of design that I like and I, I get excited about is, oh my gosh, this has been done before, but not in this context. And it's going to take a lot of really deep thinking to look up to understanding what the best approach is. So I think, yeah, I think the technicality of design is what I like most about it. Nice. Yeah, I think that technicality of collaborating with different teams, working with them to work within the constraints, work within the time frame that you have, the abilities that the team has, and still deliver something that is a great experience. 
that's where the I think the satisfaction lies. Yeah, that's a big challenge too. The people factor, like we can probably design all day without any problems in a vacuum, without any feedback or anyone helping us. I want to learn more about your new project that you're working on. I'll leave that for after our conversation on the topic because okay. that's really interesting. I wanted to dive into getting feedback. Feedback is a big topic for designers. It's it's changing for for everybody, whether you're new or experienced, and it's something that you have to evolve and learn from your mistakes, or you have to go through the battle to come out and be able to manage feedback well. And so today I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Why is feedback important in the design process and even for the designers? Yeah, that's a very awesome topic. And I wanted to talk about this because I think there's super cool tidbits and tips we can explore and hopefully it helps folks that are listening to feedback. What does it mean? When you look at it from the human computer interaction sort of model, understanding that when you tap on a key, the key presents itself on the sort of interface and you can see that something happened, right? So in that respect, it's probably pretty easy to quantify what that is. It's you do something, you then you see a result, right? Or you find a result or you, you present it with the result, right? Or you get feedback essentially, right? So. I think there's a very rudimentary definition there that's important to foundationally understand. So now it's less invasive, it becomes less threatening, and becomes what it is, right? And if we think about it that way, that helps us dive into receiving it, because we got to understand that this is there's an input and there's an output. And so looking at it like that really helped me in my career is just understanding if someone raised their voice, maybe that's how they talk. If someone sounded passionate, maybe that's just what the output of them expressing themselves sounds like. It's a lot harder to get those vibes on a like a Slack or something like that. But I think that's the second thing. Is number one is understand that you put something out there and you're going to get something back. Number two, understand that like we never intend, no matter who the folks are, there obviously could be some exceptions, but we never intend to give feedback in a manner that's upsetting, disruptful, or hurtful, or anything like that. So we need to also understand that everyone has good intentions, or at least start there until proven otherwise. So now those two things take it from a level of like stress and anxiety and worry to now you're like, okay, when I go talk to Brad, I got to understand that he's just giving me feedback and I need to extract what that means. I need to analyze it and I need to get work through understanding what that means. And that's the third thing is like feedback is not clear. It's going to be something that's coming from a lens of that person that you're talking to. So if you're an engineer and you're giving feedback on a design, a lot of what your concerns are going to be focused on are naturally going to be around your work. <laughs> the design affects your work, right? So that's the third thing to consider too. So it's not going to necessarily be delivered in a way that makes sense to you. And I guess the final kind of fourth thing to understand is you're, you should have a goal. Like when you're getting feedback, you should have a goal. The goal should be what? To make a decision on something? Is it to 
understand where you might have gone wrong, where you need to kind of bring yourself back into the box you're trying to design in or something like that. So you can't just go into it blindly and say, hey, what do you think about this? So I think that I guess like a fifth one would be preparation, prepare. Set things up really nicely so you have content that you're looking at that really matters and it's valuable. For example, anything that could potentially be extracting in your you when you're just trying to get feedback on a header, it doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to show everything. And maybe you want to show everything, but you want to push back or dial back the other content. And that's setting yourself up for success. So all these little tips can get you to get good feedback and then curate your feedback and then synthesize your feedback in a way that's meaningful and valuable and productive for everybody. And then if now it's not a, a point of contention, it's a exercise in how much I prepared and what my goal was. And we do that all the time. So if we do that all the time, what's the difference here? We do that when we put out cool products and we're over there making Uber or something like that, right? We do that all the time. We present the best thing like Dribble. We show that to folks. We get, we curate the feedback. We write down, maybe we write down a list of questions that we want to understand more about, right? So it's really, I think feedback's only scary because subconsciously you didn't prepare you didn't have a way to curate what you're trying to get across. And you're seeing things as threatening when maybe they're not. Because I've been in, actually this past week, I had feedback. And I was in a session where it sounded like the person, if you weren't, if you didn't know this person, a good friend of mine, but if you didn't know this person, it sounded like he was yelling, it sounded like he was angry. It sounded like you just got berated. But you got to remember, we're all going through stuff. Like we're all, we all have our problems we're going to. And when someone hears something in a certain way, when it's thrown on them without any preparation, without any plan, without any goal, when it's kind of loose, that's when, you know, you're going to have to realize that, okay, you're, you might get a reaction and feedback, which is very different. You don't want reactions. You want uh, curated feedback that you're funneling into these really small buckets. And here's an example. Let's go back to the header thing. So if I wanted a header, if I wanted header feedback, big question is why am I asking for that? Is this already, has this already been done? Are there guiding principles out there? Are there some design laws and things like that can get me to more of a hundred percent? And the answer is yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the answer is yes. You do have a lot of other resources. So if you're going in to ask about, is it okay to have my profile icon? over here and then my sign out, add a sign out button on the left. Okay, you didn't you didn't set this up, set yourself up for success, right? Because there's already things like laws of proximity and stuff like that. So once you get to that point where you have the header, after you've done your due diligence and you've stuck with your constraints and your rules for design, now you're ready for feedback. You're not gonna get a reaction. In the first scenario with a sign up button on the top left, and a profile icon on the far right, you're going to get a reaction. And that's what you don't want. And that's where people conflate reactionary responses with feedback. Someone's going to go, what are you doing? This is crazy. Oh my gosh. Why would you put the sign out button there? Where's our branding going to go? So those are reactions that you're going to get this. What you don't want is that. So set yourself up for success by having a plan. And that plan should be, today we're going to be looking at the header. We're going to discuss all the items that populate 
from the profile button. These are the things that we talked about last week, maybe list them out. And these are things that I added. And now let's take a look at how it works. Excuse me. And I think that gets you to a level where you have some structure and you're ready to talk and you're ready to get good feedback. Nice. Yeah, that's, you definitely provided some great insights there, especially around just how do we prepare ourselves to get the right feedback. And I can remember from when I started, because I had a lot of challenges with feedback and, uh, and I can tell you, yes, it was because I wasn't prepared. I wasn't providing the right context. I was just doing, here's the design, or what do you think of it? And, you know, that's setting us up for failure because the other person who we are asking feedback from doesn't have context. And like you said, they will provide reactions instead of feedback. And I think that's a really good distinction. And if, if just remember reaction versus versus feedback and you know that can help you remember what you need to do to make sure you get the type of response that you want yeah yeah we design stuff every day and it's hard because we look at this as like a soft skill or something that's not our job but it is your job if you didn't be at a party at your house and you wanted to lay out all of the food in a specific order so someone can get the taco you wouldn't have the plates at the end of the line, right? So same thing for us. It's just loving yourself, right? To actually put in the effort to go get the feedback. And it's a lot of work. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's a lot of work. But over time, you'll get faster and with more experience. You'll have a good formula for it. You'll make your own little time. It's just a matter of setting yourself up for success and, and coming up with a quick plan. Yeah, that's that's really good. I really like the word you used, love yourself and set yourself up for success. So it's good to know what you need to do and why you need to do this because you want the best results for yourself and for your project. Doing your due diligence, doing your delivering the designs with the right context, with the right information so that you can get the right feedback at the right time. So it's, it's definitely an art. It's an art. So... The more you have practiced, the more you understand, you know, what works for you, what doesn't. So it'll just make you a better designer. Yeah. And realize you have that framework already. You have those skills already of the structure already. You're just applying it to something that's a little new. And it's a little, you're a little apprehensive at first because you're like, wow, when I go out there and everyone sees this, what are they going to say? And it's okay if folks say that I don't like the way it looks, but... What's your job is then next is to put on that user research hat and dig into that and say, ask them why they don't like the way it looks and understand better what they're trying to say. Because a lot of times folks might say that, but what they're really talking about, you're not center aligned across the top of your your head. <laughs> yeah, I think I can remember to my, again, to my early days is if somebody had told me, oh, I don't like it or it needs to be blue, the button needs to be blue, I would have just taken it at face value and I would have felt bad And after the meeting and after the presentation because I didn't have, didn't understand that I need to dig in to why people are making those statements. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing too. I think that's, so we talked about a lot of the structuring, right, and how to get every, get yourself set up to go and even do this and 
ask for feedback, but I think the, now the next part is what's, what happens when you're getting it? And what, when you're getting it, again, it's a, a sort of lens thing and translation job that you're going to have to do. Yeah, it's if you're in a room talking to someone from Italy, someone from Germany, someone from France, you're going to have to really do a lot of work to dig deep and understand what exactly they're saying. And what I mean by that is, is I talked about it a little bit earlier, is engineers are going to have a different lens. They're going to be focused on how long is this going to take me? What's my deadline? Is this something that's comp- complex or is this a trivial? And the product might be focused on, is this even worth dedicating the time? What's the ROI for this and things like that? Everyone's got these sort of things that they're worried about and they're focusing on. If you have marketing folks in there, that's different too. So I think it's really important to know your team and know the folks you work with, study them, understand you know what they care about, start hanging out with them in a way that's going to allow you to hear some of their concerns and things like that. So when you go into these feedback sessions, you're clear on what a SWOT analysis means or something like that, right? And if you're not clear, it's okay to ask and use that session to ask a ton of questions because that's the other misconception. This is not a time where you show someone something and then you're sitting down and they just go through it and look at it. It's mostly sort of back and forth engagement where you need to understand what folks are saying and ask a lot of important questions. And some feedback can be vague. So how do you handle that? If someone's, I don't know, I just don't like it. That doesn't seem helpful, but you don't need to be reactionary in this either because that's not productive. You don't need to get mad or bring your emotions into it. What you need to do when folks are being ambiguous is just drive to clarity. Tell me why you don't like it. And that's not threatening. That's not rude. That's just a response to it. I don't know why. I just don't like it. And then keep digging in a very respectful, professional way. And then you'll eventually get to, I don't like it because we used it on our last project and that didn't go so well. And then you ask for more details and more information. Oh, who, who did the user research on that product or project? Who has the data, the information? Was it tested and things like that? And you're not trying to react. You're just trying to get all the information because you didn't have it before. So this is actually super beneficial. And that's what I think the most, if you take away from this, it's back is massively helpful because what you can do is maybe there is some, a previous designer, a previous team that had some data or had already tried some of this. And if you didn't know, that's totally okay. It happens. But now you can go and take a look at those studies or take a look at those, uh, that user research and use that to inform you. In a situation that you could have reacted when someone said, I don't like that and I don't know why, and you could have just kind of flown off the cuff, you actually uncovered something that was really pivotal and helpful to you by just talking through it. And that's, I think, kind of the biggest thing is when you're working through this, don't let it be one-sided. Make sure that you're constantly driving to clarity. And it's okay to even repeat and summarize and say things like, okay, I understand that you didn't like this because we've done this before. Is that right? Yeah. And I also understand that there's some data and some PowerPoints we can get to back up that it didn't work. I'm going to talk with so-and-so to go get it. So I think that's that if you have the, this sort of formula written down, you'll see that you have to prepare. And then the second part is you have to really dig into what people are saying and don't take 
But the first reactionary response is something you should react to, start to, or even a ambiguous response, but start to dig in and start to really get to the bottom of what's going on there. You're like a detective at this point. Yeah. So bring your curiosity to the, to, to the feedback instead of your emotions and dig in, like you said, dig into the reasons why people are providing that feedback. If there's thing you're missing, anything that you've left out or something that that can improve the designs. So going in with the mindset that you're just trying to uncover, like you said, be a detective and make sure that what you're delivering is exactly what is needed together with everybody. So it's a team sport. It's not a designers versus marketing, designer versus a business, versus the world. It's we're all working towards the same goal. Everybody has their their goals and we're just working together to make sure we all end up where we need to. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of hidden points that kind of came out when we were discussing this. And one is, how do you not get your emotions into this? It's not through reacting. It starts way at the beginning when you were designing. So when you're designing, you're already making the decision that you're gonna love what you're designing and that approach. This is why I said, when you asked me, what is the thing I love most about design is the technicality of it. Because when you get to the level of loving thing, that's already putting yourself in a world where when you show something to someone, you're ready to react, right? So that's one critical piece that we didn't discuss is you need to make sure from the beginning that you're looking at objective things and you're making, you're making calls objectively, not from your heart. You're making calls based on what is good for the user. Is it good to put this button up here in the top right? Is that a common pattern? What are the heuristics if they have to learn how to click on something that's in the top left and there's no branding? So I think that's super, super important to say is like, you need to start looking at designing at that level because now you're getting feet on you, you, the amount of time you need to spend is re reduced because you've already got common patterns. You already got things knocked out and out of the way. And then there's less of a need to even get emotionally involved because you're just trying to get to the point where you're understanding where things go and how things work. So that's, I think that's pretty critical to point out. How about when designers are going through design critiques and providing feedback? What are some suggestions you would make how to deliver great feedback? How to deliver great feedback. Okay, let's pause on that because I thought of something else really quick. Okay, so when you're there in your session and you're, um, you're talking through and you're getting feedback, we talked about something that could help reduce getting a bunch of reactionary feedback, and that's to come prepared and then show things that aren't out of the norm where the heuristics are solid and things like that. Okay, so yeah, so if we're shifting over to talking about folks that are going to give feedback, you're going into a critique, right? You as the designer. So yeah, so now if you're not the designer and you've been invited to a session, how can you help people? Like remember at the beginning, I don't know, maybe we're going to cut this off or not, but we did bring up supporting people, right? If designers like supported people for two days solid out of the year, what kind of massive impact would we have? So you as the feedback E or the person or feedback er as the person that's been invited to a session, hopefully you have a little bit of lead time. Hopefully you've been told maybe realistically a couple of days or maybe even a week. And that's your chance to reply and respond 
to the person that's setting up the session to help guide them, right? You can go ahead and start kicking off some really good conversations or thoughts by saying, hey, do you have anything you can send us now that we can look? Or saying, hey, what's the agenda? Or what topic are we are going over? Or what item are we looking at? And hopefully those things are already laid out, but even if they're not, or if they're not, that's your chance to already starting to set the tone of helping someone think about being prepared and having a plan and breaking things out. And you'll be surprised. People are amazing. Humans are amazing. A little bit of that sort of guidance, especially like self-starter type people, they're going to go, oh, you know what? I need to go and write a really nice agenda and break this out. And they'll go do that. So so, so again, we're thinking it starts at the time of the session. All this stuff happens way back. So that might help that person go ahead and structure this better. And then when you're there, your goal is to not react. Let's be honest, there could be something pretty egregious that you would react to, okay? But don't react because you're trying to talk about things objectively and technically, and that's all you're trying to do. And the other thing is ask the person what they're trying to get feedback on. And if it's pretty well laid out, then that makes your job easier. If it's a little bit unstructured, that's where it gets in the zone of, okay, let's buy some key things that we want to look at. So sometimes, depending on how mature the person is looking for feedback is, you're not going to have that structure, and it's okay for you to inject it if you know a little bit more about these sessions. So that's my recommendation is early on, start trying to get some structure there. Then when you're looking at this, your goal, hopefully, let's say it was defined, like I need you to look at my header and tell me if this is a common pattern and, and everyone you think that no one will have a problem with it. Okay. A little subjective, but what have you. Let's look at it. And then your goal is to talk through the header. And you talk objectively. You don't focus on I don't like that. I hate it when people use that font or I don't like this thick border lines. It doesn't matter what you like. What matters is that you're giving good effective feedback that's actionable. Can I take what, you know, Brad said and run back to my desk and start doing some cool things. So you need to make sure that everything you're saying is also curated and you don't bring up things that are superfluous or don't matter or bring in extra things that aren't helpful. Your focus would be to say, hey, I took a look at your header and from what I'm seeing, this is good. This makes sense. These are common patterns. I don't feel like any user will have a problem with this. Start with the good. If there's something you don't see that, or that you see that might be problematic, then explore that and say, no, that's great, but I think you need to take a consideration the, I don't know, typeface, and then explain why. Most, most folks are using this on a desktop. Most folks have like a, are using this on a laptop, let's say, and have smaller screens. And our customers don't have really nice laptops, so their resolution isn't so great. So if you look at this, typeface in a really not so great $300 laptop on a Windows Explorer, it doesn't look right. So let's take a look at it together. Let's show them. It's a lot better to show than talk through it and say, hey, I so happen to have a laptop. Let's take a look at what that looks like. Send me your image. Let's take a look. And then, or maybe it's online. You can take a look. And then that will help you steer this session into this is what's wrong this is what you can do about it, or this is, and this is why it's wrong, as opposed to, I don't like it. Yeah, 
I think that's really good. And it seems like it's also a coaching opportunity for you as a designer, if they're junior designers in your group or people who don't have that structure for giving feedback or asking for feedback. It's an opportunity to, again, help others think in that way so that the next time the process is much smoother and they've grown from from the experience as well. Yeah, there's a lot of considerations that you might know as a person giving feedback that the person designing may have not thought through. And that's really the value in this is now you didn't give feedback and coach someone and get the buy to look great. What you did is you took a human experience and made it super valuable. That person's not going to forget. Like five, 10 years down the road, they're going to be like, man, I remember when Brad explained the, that we got to use 16 pixel Mac or minimum font size or typeface size because the folks that are using our product are mostly on smaller computers. And, and then now they have that. That's ingrained in their brain for life. And now they have that understanding, that wisdom. They have that experience and that knowledge. And when they go off and do their own work in the future, they're going to remember that. They're going to lead someone through a session one day, and they're going to give them really valuable feedback and open their mind to understanding typefaces and, and web 1.0 and 2.0. Yeah, I guess it's like that quote that goes, it's not how you make, yeah, it's not what you say, it's how you make somebody feel. And the way you the way you give your feedback can make a great impression or not, or not. And something that, like you said, they, they would remember for years to come because they have a good experience of how they received feedback. Everything we've been talking about kind of centers around this one common theme, which is the amount of effort you want to put into something. And I've talked to a lot of people that want to switch over from whatever their career is today to becoming designers. And that's the one thing that I'm seeing that's like people don't understand is we cannot be lazy. So if you want to be a good designer, you're not a lazy person. You're very disciplined. So putting forth effort into structuring your feedback session as the designer that's getting feedback is a lot of work, but you can't be lazy. You got to really push yourself. And then structuring yourself in a way where you're going to give good feedback as the person that's viewing the designer's work, that takes a lot of effort because it's really fast and easy to get, oh, that's messed up. The typography is all wrong. I don't have any time to explain why I'm going to go to this next meeting. It's super easy to do that. Just it's super easy as the designer to say, I just want to show them the header. So I'm just going to take a screenshot of the whole thing and let's just wing it and let's just figure out how it works out. That's not how business works. If we went into battle that way as during a war, that would be dumb, right? So we got to always put in the work and put in the effort and you cannot be lazy. Yeah. You have to think about the experience in, in the feedback session itself. As you're designing the experience or, and thinking about the experience of the user, you need to be focused on your experience as well as you're going through the process of delivering the designs. Yeah. And then the, there's times where you don't have time and there's times where things are chaotic and there's times where it's hard to plan. And you know what I say to that? That's, you can't, you can only live like that for so long. So, you know, it's just a matter of embedding things into your process to make sure that the outcome is favorable and meaningful and helpful for everybody on the team. Yeah. 
I guess it's what we pay attention to is what is important. And so if, if you pay attention to the feedback and the process and the experience, then you know, that's something that you value and it will show in your interactions, in your conversations and in the designs at the end. Right. And you're not going to get, get at this right away. I'd much rather you come and set up a session with two items to go over than 20. And at least the two items that we go over are things that you thought through and that you care for. You'll get to 20 later as you get more experience, but that's the, that's how you do this. That's how you tackle it. You start really small and then you work your way up. Nice. I had this other experience a few months ago where it was like the difference between seeking feedback and asking for feedback. And I think the diff, the difference is where you're going into feedback session, you're going to ask for feedback. You're going, you're going into a meeting, you can ask for feedback. But then there's the differences with seeking, you're actively going out and asking for feedback outside of those set times. And I think those sessions are pretty beneficial because you should be doing that before you go to the more formal one. If you did that like throughout, what you're doing is you're building an audience, you're getting a buy-in, you're getting folks that get excited about this thing. And then by the time you get there, it's a conglomerate or a really good design based on a lot of the early feedback you got. I think it's totally appropriate. I think it's just a matter of scheduling that also. It's a, on a micro level, but yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I think that can build rapport with the people that you're presenting to during those official mm-hmm. times. And uh, it just builds goodwill because you're asking and you're including people in your process and not just at those set times that you're going to meet anyways. This kind of shows more trust, more team building, more consensus, not consensus, just working together. And folks actually feel special when you ask them to take a look at something because it shows you value, you know, what they think, which is great. And that's the kind of relationship you should have. So I think there's a benefit there. There's an advantage because it's actually between you and someone else. If you had everyone in a single Slack channel and there's 56 people and you're like, hey guys, what do you guys think about this? You're not going to get the responses you're looking for. In this case, it's very, it's micro feedback, right? Is a good term for it, where you're going to get the feedback. You're going to get some good understanding of what folks are thinking early. And yeah, you'll head over. It's kind of like a movie. Like you have people come and sit down and check out an alternate ending and then you'll know before your premiere. And by the time you're at your premiere, you have your correct alternate ending. Yeah, I think that's super smart. Sorry, I didn't understand that. That's a good, that's a good way to, and a good example, right? Someone says something and you really kind of get, have to dig a little deeper into what they mean. And I think it's also a good thing to note that your goal should be to minimize the amount of feedback you need. And I know this might sound controversial, but I'm ready for anyone's feedback on this <laughs> feedback, which is over time, you're going to have, you're going to mature as a design in a company and as a design unit, business unit. And over time, you should get something in place that allows you to speed up the work you do, right? Like things like design systems, things like that. So where does your feedback go? Like how many times do you have to discuss how a button looks? Hopefully none, because your design system has all the buttons you need. 
or you would have a process to get a new one created based on the need that you have, right? But now what happens is your sessions should be shorter in duration and less free. And then that's where you can get in, into the really cool parts of your job and your work because you're, you've, you went from this sort of feedback needing stage to the level of the team's mature, the team knows how to get feedback. Everybody, including engineers and project managers, are clear on how to get feedback. And now we're doing the real work, right? We've not the feedback spell. It's just you're putting yourself in a position where you're limiting it to things that you really need feedback on that are very new and very novel or something that you really totally are out of your element and need some help from a subject matter expert or something like that. And now it's at a level of, okay, we're getting the feedback we need, but we've set it up so it's not as frequent as it was when I first got here and the company was less mature and the design team was less mature and I wasn't as mature as I am. So I think that should be something to note too, and you can disagree with me or what have you, but I think that over time, the amount of feedback you are starting to seek out or get should be like the things that are very new, novel, there's not already heuristics for it or something like that. Yeah. Navback is also provided within the design tools. So in Figma, you can add a comment and other tools as well. Now there, it's a little different. You can't provide context. So it is changing to be as clear and any thoughts around that process? Yeah. Again, this goes back to throwing something over the wall and shotgunning someone, right? With no context, with no goal in mind and things like that, things are things get lost in the sauce, so to speak, and it becomes a lot more complex. And now you're spending three days on something that should have taken three minutes because there's no sort of understanding of what the goal is or definition. So things like Figma, where you can go in and collaborate and talk, I think that's great. But looking at a static screen, and even a series of static screens without any sort of breakdown of what's going on, it's going to be difficult to provide meaningful feedback that's actually contextual to what you're looking for. So how do you get around that? How do you fix that? Again, I'm going to tell you stuff that you don't like, and this is the reality. The reality is you have to document. Within your Figma, you can add another artboard or what have you or some sort of note below things below each screen and explain the screen works this way. And when you click on, this is how you populate the calendar widget. And the second screen shows you the calendar widget. The user should be interacting with it like this. Here's the link to go see how it works. So again, and this goes back to the, you can't be lazy. So your, what you put into it is what you'll get out of it. It's all, that's exactly what it is. And so it was cool when people come in and comment you got to set them up for success by explaining the context. You can even add a link to a video. Like I think Loom videos are pretty awesome because I can go in there and quickly like show screen by screen and, ex and explain all the interactions and then send that off to somebody. And that I think is a lot more effective. You can even copy that link and throw it into Figma or something if you really have to. Again, we're hoping that people are going to read. But what happens though is now you're setting the stage and elevating the bar to all the information was there. And the, re the reason why people don't read or regard any notes or things like that is that they, they didn't come to understand that it was valuable 
or consistent. So if your team is consistently putting little notes below the UI that expresses and explains how things work, then they'll get used to that. So it's, a, it's all about setting up these systems to help you navigate quickly. So when you do get those little comments in, in Figma, which by the way, I do too get them in Figma, and then I'll notice something, somebody say something, and then right away they're like, oh, I just read the description. Never mind, I totally understand this. So how much work do you want to put into it? That's just really what it boils down to. Nice. It's a great way to to reduce any, any back and forth and any any miscommunication is to provide context. And the tip about adding a Loom video, I think that's great. It doesn't take that long. You can walk people through, and then if they have questions, they can reach out. And so you can have that conversation. Yeah, reading for people is going to be is it's going to be time a little time consuming, but I think a video they're more open to just watching so they can get that context right away. When we work in teams, we go with the flow of how the teams work. But I think as a professional, you really stand alone in your own kind of practice. So you got to look at the work that you do at the at that caliber and then set that bar high and embed things into your process. So if it takes 10 extra seconds to type in a note that says this button relates the the calendar widget, take that 10 extra seconds because what you're doing now is you're designing with intent. And I think when you can get to that level where you're designing with intent and you know why you're doing what you're doing and you know the reasons you made the decisions you made, now you're not scared of fact because you've already answered all those questions, right? So I think even a little tiny bit of documentation, even if it's video documentation, you got to do it so everyone has a way to refer back to those things. And you're going to forget. You're going to forget like why we chose purple. But if you had that written down or in a Loom video, you can jump back and take a look. Now, I know it sounds crazy and unreasonable because a lot of folks might be saying, I don't have time in my process for that. But come on, man. That's like saying, I don't want to be responsible for the work that I put out. You do have time. You just need to put forth the effort. And then once you start doing it, it's going to be fast. Like who? half of the things that are created out there, half the softwares are created out of frustration because folks wanted to audit their worlds and they didn't want to have to type stuff up. So I'm sure Figma has tons of little tidbits and ways for you to add annotations and stuff like that. It's just a helpful thing to do. Yeah, I think that's a great way to bring more intention, intentionality into the design so that, like you said, you can go into the feedback session with confidence that you have done your best, you know what you have designed, why, and you can have a good conversation instead of just going in blind and expecting the best. Usually the worst would happen. Yeah, definitely. Any other thoughts on feedback? No. Write those notes down. Go forth and do well. I think having this newfound perspective, most folks will be enlightened and hopefully put it to good use. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And we got to work to make sure that we're putting forth enough effort and not being lazy in these sessions to help the folks that are looking through our designs understand what intentions you had. Yeah. This is wonderful advice. And I know I've grown out of this conversation and I'm going to definitely take your advice on the notes and just how you approach feedback because instead of seeing it as a as a roadblock or seeing it as a 
as a friction point is seeing it as a stepping stone to where you need to get to it's use it as a another tool in your tool set instead of another thing that you have to do or something that you don't want to do or just the negative aspects that come up so i think this you've made it really clear made really easy to understand why we should be asking for feedback how we should be asking and how it benefits us as designers to be more intentional and so our designs can be at the level that they need to be yeah definitely it takes a lot of discipline it's very hard because i think a lot of us get into this field thinking this is about what we want and how it feels and how it looks and the coolness about it and the creativity and you're gonna you're gonna see there's a way to navigate with minimal emotions and creativity and then you can bring that in when it matters and when it's valuable and when it helps. But for the most part, our work can be very objective. And if you stay in that world, you're now out of the world of subjectivity, which should totally make your life easier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, thank you so much. I said we will come back to the project, your personal project that you're working on. Can you share a little bit more about this, uh, this new idea that you're working towards and uh, how it benefits the the design industry. Yeah, absolutely. I spoke at the beginning about some concerns I had, and some of them are economical, but mostly they're mostly focused around what I saw happen in the past. So I guess I could say this is not my first rodeo. What I saw happen in the past to the design industry is we were very immature as a sort of industry. We didn't have a lot of infrastructure. We still don't, right? And there are a bunch of folks that didn't make it past the dot-com bubble. They looked at their job as designers and said, well, I guess it's over. I'm not even going to try again. I'm going to do something else or go back to what I used to do or choose another career path. And it was sad. So we have opportunities like almost every day to destroy our industry or build it up and build each other up. And what you can start to see now is some similarities back then. There's this sort of catastrophic implosion of all the different new types is that we're at a sort of point now where it's a crossroads where we can make a decision to fortify ourselves and give ourselves some good structure or just let it fall to the wayside. And what I mean by that is take a look at things like what are our titles morphing into? We used to, there used to be like, still should be a visual designer. Now there's content designers. Then we have people that are just designers and senior designers, product designers, staff designers. So I think there's something to be said about this confusion around what do we do? I think we need to work on taking that back. And what I've been working on with some colleagues of mine is understanding licensure with the design field and the researchers. And as again, when people hear about this, they're going to react and, you know, folks can react negatively or poorly, or you can start to understand why. And the reasons why they're very hard to, it's very hard to jump into that headspace because you're just doing your work every day and you're not thinking about the concept of a license. So I think to even get to the point of understanding why it's valid and why it's important really have to understand a lot of the lack of infrastructure problems that we're seeing today. 
for example, one thing is have designer pays gone up or are you looking at online applications and you're seeing that they've gone down? I'll say they got down. And what is that a result of? Is that a result of paraprofessionals versus professionals? Is that a result of people who are really serious about their job versus people that are just in it trying to ride a wave? This is not about gatekeeping. This is actually about opening the gates for people that are marginalized. Today, if you're old, you're probably not going to be able to get a job as easy as someone who's young. If you're female, this is not that's not going to go away anytime soon. It's probably going to be difficult for you to get a job. Whereas if you're male, if you're Latino or if you're black, these things are all marginalizing people. And one common thing that I've heard through talking with these folks is they say, man, I just got an email and it said, your skills don't align with the person that we're trying to hire. Sorry, we'll keep your resume on file and we'll call you if we need you. And that's a common theme and that should not happen. Whether it's driven by the economy or what have you, I think one way to combat that is to say, no, my skills actually do align. And here's this, a documented breakdown of how good I am in visual design, what I scored in interaction design, what I scored in graphic design, what I scored in branding, what I scored in human computer interaction. So that's what we're doing is we're quantifying what your skill set is so we can speed up the process when someone's trying to vet you. I don't think it's fair for you to have to spend all your nights and weekends and two months trying to build a really shitty portfolio. I don't think that's cool. And besides the fact you could have taken that from some other portfolio and put it up on the web and not even your work. So that's, a, those are the realities. The portfolio is not very valued and I don't think it's fair for you to have to do a whiteboard session to get hired for like two hours and be put on the spot. And maybe you didn't even know you had to do it. And then, you know, you're going to get nervous and <laughs> you're not prepared, right? There's all these sort of actionary things that are going to happen to you there that it's always going to make the outcome come out poorly. You might be a 10 or 10 IQ, but when you get in front of a whiteboard and someone scares you out of the blue and surprises you with that, you're going to do poorly, right? I don't think that's, that's not fair. It's not a fair way to assess us. So I think there's a sort of time now where we're at a crossroads where we can take ourselves up a notch and say, hey, there's a group of people that really look at their profession in a way that they take it so seriously that they're willing to vouch for their work and they're willing to be vetted one time, one time just by taking this exam and getting a license. And we are vetted that one singular time, like where, how does a hiring manager justify saying, no, you still got to come in, you still got to do five days of interviewing, and you have a whiteboard, and you have a take-home. You can't. It's hard to argue because you as a hiring manager can easily go search that person's name on our website and see if they have a license. And if they give you permission, you can go ahead and take a look at what they scored and how smart they are and how much aptitude they have and how what their true skills are, true skills, and their true competencies are. It was a kind of long explanation, but that's what we're doing. My, my co-founder and I came up with this. It's called the American Board of Design and Research. We are doing licenses, not certifications. It's like their licenses. And we believe that there's a group of people that want to practice and want to have a license to practice and understand that there's a, a higher level, a sort of amic level of working 
through day-to-day design and rich work. I think that's this is a great idea to bring some stability into the industry and some some even some rigor even to how we present ourselves and the work that we're doing and help the people who are doing great work rise up instead of being left out because of like you said their age their race their gender and all those things that are held against people so i think this is a great initiative and it we see it in other fields specifically the medical field people don't question if you're if you have the skills if you have that certification if you have the a license to 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 practice in a state the same way a designer would if they have a license they can work in in that in whatever state or country because they have that license and they don't have to go through those hoops and we won't even get started on the take home design channel because <laughs> that's a whole episode in itself but, and that's still till this day people on twitter and linkedin talking about those and it's just is you know it's just like the worst of the worst and sure there may be some some reasons that people think about val- they're valid but it, usually i don't have the numbers behind it but it usually doesn't turn out well and from my experience it hasn't turned out well i don't know about you but those types of activities that this can and get rid of those mm-hmm. whiteboard challenges and you, you hit it on the nail you could be really smart but somebody throws you a curveball and all of a sudden you're you're nervous and you completely blew it and so that's not fair for people that and that's not how work is done you know things aren't thrown you don't you're not throwing a curveball while you're in a meeting that's and right they recover and so yeah so there's definitely a lot of areas like you said that need improve, improvement and i really applaud you for taking the initiative to change this industry because we all know what needs to be changed but somebody has to step up and you're stepping up to take that lead so i really appreciate the this effort that you're making in- thank you yeah we're all stepping up we have a team right now of about 7 and it's just phenomenal that they totally believe in this i think that's really the core group of people that you get first when you start out as a group of people that are extremely passionate about this and believe in this what and what you're saying is so true because we're not trying to we're not trying to like gatekeep or anything like that. What we're trying to do is say to someone who graduated from University of Michigan with a master's in human computer interaction, hey, you know what? You can get a job. Whereas before it was almost impossible for you to just walk in and apply and get a job. You can get a job because you have a license and that license is a validator, a third party sort of breakdown of your sort of scoring that tells me what your true skills are and your true competencies are. I'm not going to get that from a resume and a portfolio. Yeah, that's it's that's the risk you're taking away for the business to to bring you in because they know you've been vetted. You they you can start right away. There's no long training process or getting up to speed. You know exactly this, what the skills are, and you, you know exactly what the person can do. So yeah. it's really good. It's benefits businesses and 
designers and researchers as well. Yeah, we don't give ourselves enough credit. We are just as valuable as these folks that you hear that do have to have licenses like doctors and lawyers. And you can argue with me all day that we're not doctors and lawyers, but we do important things. And if you really dig into the job and the work that you do, you have no checks and balances. You have no responsibility. If you built something improperly, that maybe you built some sort of GIF animation that gave somebody a seizure and they died, how, do they, how does someone come talk to you about that? How do you even know about that? Maybe you find out about that and you're not responsible. So I don't buy that we, are, we don't have the ability or we don't have the need. There's definitely the need. And what do we, who do we put these products out for? Consumers. And there's a, a something called the Department of Consumer Affairs. We, if you, have get, if you go get a haircut, that person has to have a license. So yeah, you could do some harm there. But to say that our software doesn't do harm is absolutely naive. We have a lot of power and we have a lot of potential to do good or harm. So this is about being responsible and making sure that we're doing the right things for the consumers as well. Yeah, I know there's definitely a propensity to do harm or whether it's intentional or not. After the past few years, talking about how social media, how it how it was designed and what was it was designed to do and how it's supposed to hook everybody and all those things have led up to this point as well, because we need to be more intentional and design better products people can enjoy their lives instead of be captivated by our products and uh, and not go down and hurt hurt us hurt people hurt our communities as we've seen in the past few years how that happened and so this type of licensing and regulation and standards will help at least make positive steps towards it and help uh, again bring some stability and uh, and expertise and validation to the design industry totally totally and you said it quite well and eloquently but I totally agree that's what we're trying to do it's a positive thing it's something that's really going to open up the floodgates for people and it's really going to i actually heard some folks say how can you quantify design? It's very creative. And no, it's not. We use hex numbers and RGB for the colors that we're using. I promise you there's a, a quantum level that you get to with design where you realize, yeah, I do a lot of math and I do a lot of science. And if you've ever worked on social apps, at least for more than a couple of years, I can pretty much say you're qualified to, to be a behavioral scientist. So that's what, that's why we have to reframe the work that we're doing and not belittle it or say that it's I'm just making buttons. You're not just making buttons. You're doing something very serious that impacts people on a daily basis. Because of that, and because of the fact that technology changes, like what we thought was cool, we're talking about Flash. Flash is no longer a thing. That's the other benefit of the license is that we're going to make sure that you're taking at least 40 hours of extra or 40 hours of continuing education. I want to make sure that if you're licensed, that you're up to date on the latest things. Maybe some new regulation came out or maybe some new technology came out. Here we are talking through Zoom. Next year, we might be talking through some virtual reality hookup and all in the metaverse. I don't know. So I think 
if you pose these arguments like that, you'll start to go, oh my gosh, what are we doing? Like here we are just out here designing things and I have no way of understanding if any of my peers actually know what the latest and greatest considerations are for designing. I think it's great. It's going to take some time. It's very new. When you tell people that have been doing this for a long time without a license, that they need a license, it's not something folks want to hear or understand, but it's something that's going to be positive and I think we'll start to see the results coming in the next year of how much of an impact it has because we're definitely excited to see that we've pushed these people to get these licenses that are objectively complex to to pass these exams and they really push your stress limits but we we're going to come out on the other side with really amazing practitioners that know their job which is those are the people that are going to be the most sought after and highly desired in the field nice yeah this is a great great effort how, how can people learn more about this is there a website yeah if you just go to our site american board of design you'll find us there and yeah you can learn all about it you can also check us out on twitter we're on twitter as well just look up the american board of design we're at board underscore of underscore design and you can find us there we'd love to hear from you we also have a slack room you can join the link is on our website and love to keep on conversating with folks about it and hear their feedback, speaking of feedback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. If you check it out, uh, please reach out to Jonathan and let him know what your thoughts are. And yeah, I think the faster we can get this, the better it will be. So I'm really excited to see how it evolves and, and how it develops. Yeah, I want to thank you again for joining me on the podcast. We've had a great conversation and it's probably one of the longest ones I've had on the podcast because it was so interesting. And, and I know I've grown as a dinner just from this conversation and I hope the listeners will too. I think there's a lot of good, actionable information here that you can apply right away. Yeah, um, yeah. that's great to hear. I'm glad. And speaking of actionable, if you're, let's tell the folks to do something actionable. If you guys are listening and it helped you and you liked it, if you got something out of understanding some cool ways to curtail your feedback so it's more beneficial, let Rizwan know. We need to support each other in every way. And there's nothing cooler than hearing, hey, I used these tips or thank you for having this show. So let them know. Give them a little bit of love. Reshare this on LinkedIn or Wherever you think you Twitter or wherever you think it might help. I think that's important to prompt you guys because a lot of us are shy. So when you hear someone bringing it up, it's also sometimes beneficial. But we would love to wake up to an email that says, I tried this at work and it was successful. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, that made my day. Before we go, I usually have a guest share a challenge with the listeners to apply what they've heard into their life. Do I have a challenge for the listeners? I think that is my challenge. If you are listening to this, I would hope that it's because you want to understand how to get better at feedback. And if that's the case, take some of what you heard here today. And then my challenge is if you implemented it, come back and tell us, give us feedback, come back and tell us like how it went and Tell us some cool stories. Maybe you don't have cool stories. That's okay. Let's talk about that. 
too. But I think that would be a challenge to you guys is give a share the podcast and share some feedback with us. Let us know how it worked for you because there's nothing more important to your career as a designer than learning how to navigate this because it's tricky. It's tough. We've all been through it. We try to avoid it, but we'd like to, that's my challenge to you guys is tell us how it went and tell us how it changed your style of giving and getting feedback. Awesome. I love that challenge. And I'm definitely open to any feedback that you or the listeners have in, in this podcast. So I can make it better and make it more impactful for everyone. So thank you so much. Once again, thanks, Jonathan. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, thank you. It was awesome being here and I was definitely honored. And yeah, let's get back to work. But let's also hope that some folks out there start are starting to get some good feedback sessions. All right. That was design leader and co-founder of the Board of Design, Jonathan Bowman. And this has been Alicia Mindset. If you enjoyed this show, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast for more insights on how to unleash your mindset. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, stay strong. <music>